Well, Northside family, good to be with you today. And can we just welcome everybody online real quick? Just want to make sure they feel welcomed in the room and love what God is doing in the life of his church. This baptism weekend has been incredible. And uh, we celebrate this weekend. We've had, like Jacob said, we've had 18 people signed up and done baptisms after every service. And it's so fitting uh, because this weekend, as we wrap up, it's complicated. Uh, what we've done every week is we've looked at what makes relationships complicated. And today we're talking about commitment. And some of you are like, oh man, I knew I should have stayed home, right? You know, because this is what happens when we start talking about commitment. What ends up happening is sometimes we don't want to commit because we know that's going to cost us something. And we go, if I commit to that, what am I going to miss out on? What am I not going to be a part of? And so as soon as we talk about commitment, as soon as that comes up, it gets a little bit scary for us. I love what Jesus says, though, about this. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 25, he says this. Whoever loses his life for me, this is what he says, will find it. Jesus says, whoever commits his life to me will actually discover life that you did not know existed here. You'll begin to experience a different way of life, a different way of grace. Now, here's the thing about commitment. Sometimes we're afraid of commitment. Sometimes we don't like it because it's costly. But isn't it funny that we all like when somebody else is committed to us? Right, when we're going through the drive through line, you're like, you better not forget that sweet and sour sauce for my nuggets, right, you know? Or for some of us, we're like, you better not forget that Chick-fil-A sauce, right? You know, I know we're in a pandemic, but you better put two of those in that bag, right? And, and here's a three for some of us, right? You know, praise the Lord, right? And, you know, it's one of those things of going, I may not like being committed to you, but you better be committed to me. And that's the way a lot of times we work. And the thing that we find that makes a lot of times in our relationships so complicated, sometimes some people are more committed to it than others. I heard one phrase, man, it's kind of defeating. Sometimes in a relationship, they said the person who wins is the person who cares the least. And you're like, oh man, because a lot of times that's what happens. When you care the least, you're like, fine, I don't care. And you back up. But what you find is the more you care the least, the more complicated things get. And the more you and I step away from things and we don't stay committed, the more fractured relationships become. You know, this whole series we've been doing on relationships actually hasn't been about marriage, but it's for your marriage if you're married. And in the church, sometimes we put the goal of marriage a little bit maybe higher than we should. Sometimes people think the only goal in life is to get married. Your goal and my goal in life is Jesus. And if he calls us to get married, then man, our marriage is to reflect him. But here's what I want to do today. I want to do something real special as we wrap up our relationship series is this. I want to honor some longtime marriages in this room. And so here's what I want to do. If you have been married for 25 years or more, would you stand up? If you're here in the room, you've been married 25 years or more. I wouldn't even qualify for this, all right? But these are, I'm seeing this room, man. And now remain standing, remain standing because we're going to play a little game here, all right? So here's what I want to do. One, I want you to look around, man, what faithful men and women, and God is using you and your marriage to be light to this world, to be an example for us. And so thank you for your commitment to one another. But here's what I want to do. I want to see who's been married the longest in this room, all right? And so we're going to start a little countdown, all right? So if you have been married for 30 years, remain standing. 35. Starting to thin them out a little bit. All right, 40 years, 40 years married and making sure we're seeing we're still going strong. 45 years. Oh, we got some stallions here today. 
Right, we got some committed people, right? 50 years. We got 50? I'm still standing. I see two over here. We got any over here? Am I missing any? Making sure. We got, I see one over here. 55 years. Are you guys the winners? Is they the winners? I'm making sure I'm not missing. 56. How, many, how long are you? 56. Can we give them a big hand? Hey, Dale, they're over there. We put together a little special date night uh, right down here, man, or uh, right here, or whoever says they've been married for 56 years. <laughs> no, right there. There it is. There it is. We put together a little date night for you. You guys enjoy that. 56 is incredible. I will say this. The record this weekend is at the 945, 68 years. Wow. Man, it was amazing. Now, here's what's so cool about that. When we hear about that, we love that, don't we? We love to see people, one another, being committed. Uh, last night, I went to a 50th anniversary for Gary and Joe Norman, just longtime Northsiders, incredible people of God. If you know them, man, they are salt of the earth. And they gave a little talk at their 50th anniversary last night. And the, the question was, how did you guys make it to 50 years? And Gary said, I learned the phrase, I'm sorry. And he said, man, he goes, it's amazing how that covers a multitude of sins that when we learn how to say we're sorry and we learn how to serve one another, it's amazing how much the commitment grows. And I love this quote by Ted Cunningham. We've had him here to speak at our marriage events before, but this is what he said about marriage. I found this really fascinating. He said this, he said, every marriage is a duet that is in desperate need of backup singers. And what he was saying is this, when you get married, you have no idea what you're doing. And he goes, and what we need is this. We need people who are for us, not just when we get married and who are for us individually. We need people who are just for us in our life, who come around us no matter what's going on, who's saying, I know life can get complicated, but I am for you and I am with you because that is who Christ is to his church. That Christ, his last promise to his disciples before he ascended back to heaven was this, and surely I will be with you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm going to be committed to you. And what you're going to do is this. You're going to live out this life of commitment to me, but you're going to live this life of commitment to one another. And this is what I love over and over again in scripture is this, that God calls for our commitment before our good. And here's what oftentimes gets in the way of a lot of times our commitment in our marriages. Sometimes it gets in the way of our commitment to one another. Sometimes it gets in the way of our commitment to our kids. It's simply this, we get over committed in life. Sometimes it's just very easy to get over committed and we're not against being committed but we go, man, sometimes we don't take inventory. We don't take into account how many things we've actually committed to. And sometimes we begin to overwhelm ourselves. And the temptation is this, to double down and go, okay, life is overwhelming. I'm overcommitted. Now I'm going to really commit this week to not being overcommitted. Right? And then the next week happens and you go, I did it again. I'm overcommitted. What can I do? And this and that. And we try to find it. And I don't, here's the thing we're going to find out today that goes all throughout the scriptures. This is a different way. If you and I want to grow in our commitment, here's what I found. It took me many years, and I, I still have to live this out. I'm not an expert at it. But this was my mistake. I just thought I just had to just be more committed to the Lord. But this is what I found about commitment. Commitment, maybe if you're writing notes down, you want to take this down. Commitment is actually formed in community. 
that if you want to grow in your commitment to God, if you want to grow in your commitment to your spouse, if you actually want to grow as being a better brother and sister to the church family, if you just want to be a better committed citizen to our community, here's what happens. You are formed in community. This is why when we talk about life groups, there's no quota we're trying to meet here. We, we don't get extra love or prizes from Jesus or Jesus isn't gonna love you more for being a life group. What Jesus is saying is this, I've always existed in community. Even from the very beginning, what you find in Genesis chapter one, verse 26 is this. God was saying, if you want your life to thrive, if you wanna be a person of commitment, not just to God, but to each other and to yourself, it always comes through community. In Genesis chapter one, verse 26, this is what God says. When he created man, this is what it's recorded. It says, let us, talking about the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image and let in our likeness and let them rule. See, you and I were always made to live life together. This is why oftentimes relationships get complicated and you go, I wish sometimes I didn't need relationships, but you know in your soul, even if you're not a believer here today, you know in your soul that it is not good for man to be alone. Matter of fact, God says that in Genesis chapter two before sin enters the world. He saw something wasn't good. He saw Adam was by himself and he goes, it is not good for man to be alone. And see, this is what it means to be the church family. The church family, the word church actually means this. The word ecclesia, it's where we get the word church from, is this, is a called out people. You and I were never made to follow Jesus alone. That's why one of our taglines is this, life change happens together. When we live out the ways of Jesus together, things begin to change in our life. Last weekend, we shared a story from Andrew and Jenna Grant's incredible story about how they stepped out. They started a new life group. There was people that needed a life group. They stepped out. They were a little bit nervous, but they did it. It was incredible. And I texted Andrew last uh, weekend after uh, the, the final service, and I said, man, thanks so much for just sharing your story. Thanks for opening your home. Thanks for opening your life. I, I know several members that are in his life group, and they're going, man, our, our lives are so much better with our life group. And I said, thanks for doing that. He said, craziest thing happened at church. I said, what, man? He said, during the 945, he said, uh, you know, he said the video played. And he said, when I was walking out, he said, I ran into one of my coworkers. It was their first time at Northside. And he said, when he talked to him, he said, man, do you come here? He goes, no, this is my first time. And this is what his coworker told him. He said, I had already decided I'm going to go one time. It's going to be too big. Nobody's going to notice me and I'm going to leave and I'm going to never go back. Some of you are like, hey, that was my story, right? You know, and, and here's what happened. He walks out, runs into him in the lobby and he goes, man, I heard your story. And he goes, I can't believe I run into you here. He goes, I knew this place was going to be too big. And he goes, here I am talking to you. He goes, I gotta go get in a life group. And last weekend, God just opened this door. And I'm telling you this, God has made our lives, if we wanna grow in commitment to him, it is always formed through community. It is always through you and I growing together in the ways of the Lord. I got a, a phrase that I heard a long time ago from a pastor, not sure who it was, wasn't original me, but man, it spoke deeply to me. And this is what it said. It said, if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Just apply that to your life right now. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. If you ever wonder why I hang out with who I hang out with, 
It's because I know I don't have it all together and I want to hang out with people who do. And what I've just resolved to is this, man, I don't want to spend my life being the wisest guy in the room. And you're like, we know. But what we're saying is this, we're going, I want to get around people who have been a dad a whole lot longer than I've been a dad. Man, I want to be around other pastors who have pastored a whole lot longer than I've pastored. Man, I want to be around other men and women of Christ who have spent fervent hours in prayer and in God's word, who can speak into me, who can shape me, who can go, Nate, here's what, you know, you need to be paying attention to as you raise your kids, as you love your wife, because at the bottom line, here it is, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. This is why Jesus' invitation to his disciples first for this, he just simply said this, hey, just come and see. Just come and hang out with me. Come and get to know me. If you're not a believer yet, God gives you this invitation. Man, just come and be a part of this. Matter of fact, we'll let you join a life group even if you're not a believer yet. Because this is what we know. If you want to come and get answers and go, I, I want to see if this is real before I become a follower, we welcome that because Jesus welcomed that. Matter of fact, one of Jesus' nicknames was this. I love this. I pray that this is our nickname as a church. One of his nicknames was this. The Pharisees gave it to him because they didn't like him. Oh, yeah, that Jesus, he's a friend of what? Anybody remember? Sinners. A friend of sinners. He wasn't afraid to get into the complicated situations with people and walk in their life and walk in their shoes and hear their story and love them right where they're at. And that's exactly who the church is called to be. See, you and I, our commitment to God doesn't grow without community. Matter of fact, all the way through the Old Testament, what you find is this, God brings his people out of Egypt and you know what they want to do? They keep wanting to go back to Egypt. You see that in the story of Moses. Why'd you bring us out to the desert? We want to go back. And it's like, you want to go back to slavery? We're like, well, at least we have food there. And what they're saying is this, God, I want to go back to the way I want it to be. Too many times this is what will be the challenge for you and I. God will have a way for us to grow in our relationship with him, to be committed to him, and we'll want to drift towards independence. We'll want to drift to doing things the way we want to do. Matter of fact, uh, there, there's a, a moment in the Old Testament where all of God's people said, God, give us a king like the rest of the countries. God goes, I, I am your king. Why do you need a king? They're like, well, we want to become like everybody else. He goes, I've called you out of Egypt to not be like everybody else. I've called you to be my people, to live in my ways, to give me glory. And they go, yeah, but we want a king. And finally, God goes, okay. I'll give you what you want. Be careful. Sometimes God will give you what you want. And here's what we find. Sometimes what we want isn't always what we need. And what happens is this. God gives them King Saul. And Saul was a good king for a while. The only problem is this. He started drifting away from God and away from accountability and did his own things. And what you see in Saul's life is this. He grows up to be a bitter old man. And he dies in battle. Horrific death. Crashes his life walks away from the spirit of God. God raises up David. And there's an amazing way that God raises up King David. That's who I want to talk, to you a little, talk about a little bit today. Because what happens in David's life is this. God raises him up because he's going, I want to form you, but here's how you're going to grow towards me. You're going to grow through community. Matter of fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8, God sends the prophet Nathan to tell David how he's to lead. God could have just simply told David, if he goes, that's not how I'm going to work. David, you're going to need trusted advisors around you. All of us in this room, we need trusted voices around us speaking into our life. And listen to what he says. 
God says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8 to Nathan, he says, go tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from the following the flock to be ruler over my people. Hey, remember, I did this in your life. Man, don't forget that. And now you're going to rule over my people. And I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have cut off all your enemies before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I'll provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed the leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies, David. And the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. God says, David, I have plans for you to rule my people, but here's the thing. He sends Nathan because this is what he wants David to know. You're not going to lead by yourself. Matter of fact, that's when you and I go rogue, when we lead by ourselves. But we need brothers and sisters around us. And what you find in David's life is this, man, he follows God wholeheartedly. He brings the Ark of the Covenant back If anybody remembers Indiana Jones, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, I was scarred for life. I watched that when I was like eight years old. Not recommended for an eight-year-old, right? That last scene, and man, it kind of blew my mind. I'm like, I don't know if I ever want to go to church again, right? You know, but what happened is they bring the ark back. And the reason why they brought the ark back is because that represented the presence of God. The first thing David does is this. He goes, I know I can't do this alone. I need the presence of God. Man, if I'm going to live the ways of God, I need his presence. And then he does this. He does something really cool. He begins to invite people to his table. His best friend, Jonathan, who was King Saul's son. Here's the deal about Saul. Saul wanted to kill David. Imagine that. Jonathan, hey, David, why don't you come hang and spend the night over my house? Nah, your dad's trying to kill me. I think I'll sit this one out, my man. Talk about being complicated. David writes sends letters out and he says, I want you to go find if there's anybody left of Jonathan's life and his family. And I want him to stay at the palace with me. They said, hey, we found one of Jonathan's sons. His name is Mephibosheth. Try practicing that all week. And it helped me Jesus, right? And here's this cool story about Mephibosheth. I'm gonna say as many times as I can. I only got one service left. And uh, (laughs) here's what's cool. David sends word, they, they send word to David. He goes, you tell Mephibosheth, I want him to come and stay in my palace because Jonathan, his dad, was my best friend. And here's what was so unique. When Mephibosheth heard that, he said, why does David want a dead dog like me at his table? And this is what the scripture says. He thought that way because he was crippled in his feet. Some of you today, because of what's going on in your life or a deficiency, that's going on, you have totally discounted yourself from being invited to the table of God. David sent word back to Mephibosheth and he said, you come and you have a place at my table for the rest of your life. Isn't it incredible that we have a God that looks at every single one of us, sees every simple deficiency that we carry, every negative thought, and he goes, more than your negative thought, I want you to come and feast at my table. Isn't that good news for us today? Man, that we have a God who's going, I know you may think this about yourself. See, this is why we got to pay attention. When we live in isolation, this is where destructive patterns happen. 
And all through David's life, he was faithful to God. He served God. And then something happened. He had incredible victories. And then something happened in chapter 11. Listen to what it says in verse 1, chapter 11, 2 Samuel. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. And they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. The writer is setting the scene here because he wants us to understand what's going on. David is king. David is the one who's supposed to be with his men. But David is at home in the palace watching Sports Center. And we're going, David, man, you need to go do your job, buddy. You need to go be committed. And listen what happens next. Verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. A woman was very beautiful. And so David sent someone to find out about her, sends a servant. And the man, one of his servants said, well, isn't that Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Uh, David, isn't, that ain't your wife, man. That, 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 that's Uriah's wife. Now, now here's an interesting thing about Uriah. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, the book ends with David's mighty men. See, David knew this. If he was going to be a faithful king, he, need some, he needed some dudes around him. He had what was called 37 mighty men, dudes who had his back that locked arms with him, and Uriah was one of those guys. And Uriah was off fighting in the war where David should have been. And what the scripture is teaching in this moment is this. See, the whole reason why you and I need community around us is this. By ourselves, we don't make good decisions, do we? You ever seen it when you're having an imaginary argument in your mind, you're the one who always wins? It's your boss's fault. It's your spouse's fault. It's the teacher's fault, right? It's the car that you rear-ended, but it's their fault. They shouldn't have been on the road that day. Right? It couldn't have been your fault. It had to be their fault. And here's what happens. When we're by ourselves, man, we begin to make some of the most destructive decisions. And we're going, I don't even want that. That's the thing. That's the power. See, our commitment to God begins to fade when we pull away from community. What happens to David is this. Instead of acknowledging this and slowing down, going, you know what? That is Uriah's wife. I should just pump the brakes. It says, David sent messengers to go get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Then she went back home and the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. See, when you and I take ourselves out of God's community, things get complicated. Because here's the deal. You and I were never made to live this life alone. And the decisions we make in the dark, I'm telling you this. This is why we take sin very seriously here. The decisions you and I make in the darkness, it impacts the decades to come. I mean, I read the rest of 2 Samuel this week. It's just sad. It's sad. David's family falls apart. He doesn't get to build the temple because blood is on his hands. His future is changed. God is still faithful. And even in the New Testament, what we find is he repents. But, and it says that David was a man after God's own heart. But here's the thing. When in this moment, man, there were so many decisions that came out of this. There was so much destruction that came out of this. See, this is why we talk about this. This is why a lot of times things get complicated is this. It's not just that we're broken people. We are. But part of our complication is this. We keep ourselves from godly community. We, we take ourselves away. I'm going, this doesn't happen. 
if David just simply follows God's call and is with his men. Matter of fact, what he does is this. He brings Uriah home, tries to get him to sleep with his wife to cover up the pregnancy. And Uriah goes, I can't go home and sleep with my wife when my brother's on the battle line and he goes back to war. So David goes, okay. And he tells Joab, put Uriah on the front line, kill him. Premeditated murder comes out of this. See, we don't oftentimes in the moment realize how destructive we can be. This is why God is going, I've made you for me. I've made you in my image. I am a triune God together. You and I do not flourish alone. We have seen what happens to our minds and our hearts when we live in isolation in the last 18 months, haven't we? Man, when we are by ourselves, we are not our best selves. This is why we need the church family. This is why we need one another. I read the book Life Together by Diedrich Bonhoeffer this week, incredible German theologian. Listen to what he says about this. He, he points this out. He gave this quote, hit me like a ton of bricks. Listen to what he says. He says, he who can no longer listen to his brother will soon be no longer listening to God either. See, when we don't take the time to listen to each other and allow each other to speak into our lives, very soon we're going to quit listening to God. And here's what Satan wants. Complacency is the enemy of commitment. That's what Satan wants for you. Just become complacent. Just become complacent in your marriage. Become complacent in your work. Become complacent in your Christianity. And here's the day. Some of you are going, Nate, I'm not complacent. I'm at church. What more do you want from me? Let, me? let me rephrase what complacent means. Complacent doesn't mean lazy. You know what complacent means? Complacent means this. When you and I walk around looking at the world like this, well, psh, I earned it. I deserve it. What does it matter if I sleep with them? That is complacent Christianity. David wrecks everything. See, this is why we've got to be careful. Too many times our relationships get very complicated, not because we're just broken, but because we've taken ourselves out of community. We've taken ourselves out of accountability. The good news of God is this, even when we find ourselves in the darkest place of our knife, night, in, in a place of regret and going, God, how do I move forward? Even when we've pulled back from the community of God and we've pulled back from brothers and sisters, here's the good news. God never pulls back from you and I. Matter of fact, I don't know if you found it this way, but in those moments where we've made decisions that we regret, actually what I found is God's grace becomes even more overwhelming in my life. Because what he's saying is this, Nate, I have a better way for you. Nate, I have a better way for your life to thrive. And what we find is this in chapter 12, verse 1. This is what it says. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. The same man that God sent to tell David about what he was supposed to do. David, in his worst moment, God sends Nathan to him. And he goes and he tells him a parable. He goes, David, I got a parable for you. He said, there was this rich guy who has a bunch of lambs. And there was this poor guy who had one lamb. And the rich guy was having somebody over for dinner. And instead of killing one of his lambs to eat, he went and he stole the poor man's lamb. And he killed it and he served his guest. And instead of that moment, David became outraged. And he said, it said that he burned with anger. And he said, that man deserves to die. And Nathan said, David, you are that man. See, you and I need people around us who would be willing to speak the truth into our life. 
I remember a couple of years ago after I preached a sermon, uh, a couple of weeks later, I had one of my buddies, he's 15 years younger in the church. He said, hey, man, you remember that sermon you preached? I said, yeah. He said, uh, what was that one word you described, that illustration? And I had used just kind of a popular uh, term. And uh, I'm almost 40 now, so I hear words, but I don't always know what they mean. And uh, I said, well, this was, the, this was the word I used in my sermon. And he goes, uh-huh. He said, what do you think that word means? And I said, uh, uh, this is what it means. And uh, he should have quoted Princess Bride. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> and being a 15-year younger brother goes, here's what that actually means. And I went, that was not what I was trying to say, my man. Uh, and it was not, totally not. But here was the deal. I'm up here thinking, I know what I'm saying. I had no clue when I said that word what I was saying. And here's the deal for you and I. There will never be a point in our lives that you and I will be totally self-aware at all times by ourselves. There just never will be a moment. There will never be a moment in my life where I'm totally aware of what I'm doing and how I'm acting. And what I need is this. I need faithful brothers and sisters around me. People who are for me. People who will speak truth into my life. And what David does when he hears this, finally in verse 13, he doesn't try to cover up his sin anymore. This is what he does. He confesses his sin. Verse 13, it says this, then David said to Nathan, I sinned against the Lord. He quits covering things up and he just simply confesses. Man, I've sinned against the Lord. And here's the thing, by himself, he felt like all I can do is cover up, cover up, cover up. But when he had a brother come and confront him and speak truth into his life, he just confessed. And what we find is this, Confession is actually conversion. The good news for you and I today is this. It's not that you and I just need to commit to the Lord today. What we find is this. Commitment starts with confession. That if you really want to be committed to the Lord today, it's not will you power up, but will you power down? Will you begin to make your life available to God to say, God, I'm covering up a bunch of stuff and I'm done covering it up. God, I just need to confess you. Would you make me clean? God, would you make me right? For some of you today, like we've got a number of people signed up to be baptized. Some of you today, you're going, I need to quit being covered up, man. And I need to confess my sin to the Lord. And I need to come clean to him. For some of you today, I'm praying for you. We've been praying for you. But it also is this, what I found is this, maybe for some of you have confessed, but you're like, Nathan, you need to come around some people today and go, I may have confessed Jesus, but man, God, you're calling me to come around and to love people. This is what Galatians chapter six, verse one and two says. It says, brothers, Paul's writing this. He says, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him Gently. I'm so grateful that my friend Braden didn't come yelling at me going, do you know what you said on stage? I had no idea what I said on stage. He restored me gently. But he says this, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Tempted to what? To believe that you're better than somebody else. See, Christian community, we walk around not believing that we're better than one another, but helping one another to follow Jesus. And then he says this, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. You know what the law of Christ means? It just means the way of Jesus. 
The way of Jesus is this, that you and I confess him as king, but we don't just confess him as king and savior. Here's what we do. We are committed to carrying each other's burdens. We're committed to saying, you know what, God? It's not just about you and me. God, it's about you and me and about our church family. That God, I'm gonna come around people and care for people and scoop people up. Some of you are going, Nate, that's where life gets messy. I know. You know what else is messy? The cross of Jesus. See, the cross of Jesus says, I'm willing to engage the mess. Man, I'm willing to step in and meet you right where you are. You may feel like David today going, man, I've tried everything to cover up my sin and all this other stuff. And God is going, I don't need you to cover your sin. I just need you to confess your sin. I just need you to come clean. Matter of fact, James chapter 5, verse 16 says it this way in the New Testament. James, Jesus' half-brother, says this. Therefore... Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. You know what your heavenly father wants for you today? He wants you to be healed. He wants you to be set free. He wants your life to thrive as he created you to thrive. He wants you to be the church that he created you to be the church to be. He called you and I to confess him, but not just to confess him, but to carry the burdens of one another, to make time for one another, to come around one another. Friday afternoon, met up with one of my best friends, his name's Will Parton, runs a ministry in Louisville called Go Ministries. They do work in the Dominican Republic and all across the world. We spent about three hours Friday afternoon. We try to get together once a month. He's a young dad. He's adopted three little girls. So he's walking through all of that. He's a pastor. He's trying to figure things out. And we just sat out there for about three hours on a back porch. And we just talked life with one another. You know what we did? We shared our struggles with one another. We talked about our frustrations with life. We asked one another, the tough questions. How's your marriage really doing? And the words fine and good and okay don't suffice. We're good, really? And when we left, our hearts were refreshed. Because we left as two men going, we're not going to live a life of cover-up. We're not gonna live a life that hides things. God, we wanna live a life of confession before you and we wanna carry each other's burdens. For some of you today, God is going, man, I'm here. I've called you, I've sent Jesus. I have sent my son, he's gone to the cross. I don't need you to commit, I just need you to confess. Because when you confess me as savior, you will find the commitment that you long for. You will find the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. You will see him at work in your life in ways that you and I can never work in our life. Confess and carry. You know how we walk through a complicated world? We, we walk like Jesus walks with us. He steps in to the broken places. And he carries us through every moment of life. Here in a moment, the band is gonna sing a song and I'm gonna invite you during this time to allow it be a time of confession. For all of us in this room, maybe there are some things you need to come clean before God. 
Maybe there's a, a confession to God that you're going, no, I've already come clean. My problem is this. I've just kept myself away from community. I've kept myself from carrying other people's burdens. And I didn't realize that's what God was calling me to. And so during this song, this is going to just be a moment of confession. God, would you help me to be a person who would carry other people's burdens? That I wouldn't just make this about me, but God, I would make it about all that you have for me. Two questions that I want us to confess in this moment during the song. We'll put them up on the screen right now. Simply first is this. For some of you, you just need to confess Jesus as king instead of. David needed to confess that day. God, I had made myself king, not you. Today's the day of confession for you. So your heart can be healed, so your heart can be revived, so you can experience the life. For some of you, you got to go, okay, today, God, I'm going to confess to carry the burdens of others as my calling in Christ, as my calling in Jesus. So right now, I just want to say a quick prayer for us. And if you would, would you stand right now? I'm going to pray for us for this song. And I'm going to ask you during the song, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, you're ready to go, God, I got to give you my life. I just want to invite you to come down over the steps. We got teams down here that love to pray with you. We've had people come, all services. For some of you going today, I need to be baptized today. I need to give my life to the Lord. Some of you, you know it and you go, Nate, I would love to. I just don't have any shorts with me. Turns out we got some in the back. You're like, well, you got shorts, but you don't have shirts. We got those too. We got those too. We got a team backstage that would love to pray with you. We got a team that would love to walk alongside you. We got a team that wants to carry your burdens with you. That's what it means to be the church, amen? Then none of us are doing this alone because that's not the way God made us. That's not the way God created the church to operate. But the church is a confessing church, the church that wraps our arms around one another and says, let's go together. Let's be committed together. So let me pray for us right now. During during the song, if you need to come forward, come forward. But Father, we thank you that you are a God of mercy. And from the very beginning, you laid the path for us. You made us in your image for your purpose, for your ways. And so today, Father, we just say thank you. We thank you for laying a plan out before us that's way better than we could have for our lives. And not only that, Father, we say thank you for meeting us in our darkest moments. Father, for some of us right now, we're in a dark place and that was never the plan. We didn't even want to be where we are right now, but Father, because we're sinful, we are where we are. Father, I pray by the power of the Spirit today, Lord, that you would set some people free. Set free from trying to save themselves and change themselves. And Father, just simply today, they would just confess you as Lord and Savior of their life. And Father, would you put a desire in our heart by the power of your Spirit to be a church that has a burden for our brothers and sisters around us. That Father, instead of judging, we would put our arm around them. And instead of condemning, we would care and give mercy and grace like you have given us mercy in grace. And so Jesus, we pray all of this by your name. And all God's people said together, amen.